I don't know how many of you like history, but uh, I do. I do like history. And one thing I have learned uh, about history is if you want to understand better some historical events, you need to collect all details and even past events leading to the, to the event you, you study. To have a full picture in place, to have a background, to have a context, and so we can put all that together to, to see properly. Uh, and so, in that in mind, uh, uh, in our little Bible journey today, I want to lead you through some events from the start to better understand the context and hopefully the message at the end. So we, we're going to start from King David in the time of King David when he finally became king in power uh, after the death of King Saul. The scripture says that the Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David. Uh, that's a verse in 2 Samuel 5.11. Uh, he sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house. One thing we learned from that, that the king of Tyre, Hiram, was quite skillful manager uh, when it comes to trading and services. Uh, and the second thing we can learn here is that there was a good connection between Hiram, king of Tyre, and David, king of Israel. Now, we, we skip to about 40 years later. That's First King 5.1 says, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that he had anointed him king in palace in, of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. So we can see that Solomon, as much as his father David, had still good relationship with King of Tyre. As Prophet Amos will mention later on, uh, in his prophecy that Israel had a covenant of brotherhood with Tyre. The Tyre became one of the greatest traders in the Middle East. Now, in the time of Isaiah the prophet, which is about 150 years after Solomon died, Tyre was still great in trade. As prophet wrote, the harvest of the river is her revenue, 
and she is a marketplace for the nations. We can learn that they were using land and rivers and sea to trade, and not just with the Middle East, with the Middle East, it's they were trading with Europe, they were trading with Asia, they were trading with Africa. They were using land and rivers and sea to trade and to make a big, big profit. Yet this is the time when God, God's prophecy is starting to mark the beginning of the fall. There was something else that happened between Israel and Tyre. We have words of the king of Tyre recorded in the prophetic book of Ezekiel 26 from verse 2. The Lord said to the prophet, Son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken. It has swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you, as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers and I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. That's prophecy of impending judgment. But I want us to notice here something that before the destruction of Tyre, the warning messages and movement of nations against Tyre were coming gradually, the prophecy, see, the prophecy says, uh, like waves of the sea. God allowed many nations to try and to test the heart of Tyre. And then in the next few verses of Ezekiel 26, the Lord speaks about Babylon that had become the greatest power in the known world, that the Babylon will come to destroy Tyre and Sidon and every village that had connection with them in the final stage. But this is important to see that before the final destruction of Tyre, God was sending messages, one by one. Zechariah 9 says, For Tyre built herself a tower, heaped up silver like the dust, and gold like the mire of the streets. Behold, the, the Lord will cast her out. He will destroy her power in the sea and she will be devoured by the fire. 
The famous passage from Ezekiel 28 gives us reason. It says, because your heart was lifted up. Just like the heart of Lucifer. I think we all know very well these passages. But it says, with your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself. And your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Now the big question for us to ask is, how the great brotherhood between Israel and Tyre turned into enmity over years. Is it not the growing pride and even more growing greed that took over warm feelings from the past? It didn't happen overnight. The mesmerizing effects of riches were taking the possession of heart and mind of Tyre over years. But also, as we learn, that the destruction didn't come overnight either. God has given plenty of time for Tyre to take back the possession of his mind. The prophetic insight from Ezekiel 26 speaks clearly about many attempts of nations that were coming like waves of the sea before the final destruction by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. In the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah the prophet, God sent message. The message was directed not only to Tyre and Sidon, but also to Israel and neighboring nations. Jeremiah 27, verse 5 says, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are on the ground, by my great power, I have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will punish, I will punish. The warning message from the Lord comes with the wise advice to put your neck under the yoke of God's command, to follow his instruction and to accept his decision. Even if it means to put your neck under the yoke of foreign power, it was the last chance for the king of Tyre to avoid total destruction. And it was also the last warning message, one of the last warning messages to Judah. We can see from the history that God's order will come to pass whether people like it or not. 
but those who have enough wisdom and meekness, those who humble themselves before the Lord, will find and can find the yoke easy. And those who oppose God's judgments will find it hard. We can see also that God's purpose for that nation was to humble those whose heart was lifted up. The purpose of God is never to destroy, but to save, to rebuild bridges of relationship. And that was the way God was working his purpose over the years, calling to repentance and submission. There is connection that I would like us to see today, that prosperity and riches led to pride and haughty spirit, to pride and greed, and finally to broken relationships. And not only with those nations, but also with God. We learn from the scripture that greediness is idolatry, isn't it? And pride put us in opposition to God. God opposed proud, but give grace to the humble. These are the forces that we need to understand for our own benefit and by God's grace control it. So the medicine to pride is meekness and yoke of submission. The answer of human being to God, to his majesty and power, has to be humble obedience, especially, especially in the time of prosperity. When your house is full of goods and and you increase in riches, do not forget the one who has given you all those things. The Lord that made all these things possible for you. Remember to honor him. God's message to people of all ages is the same. Yet when the Lord came down to walk with people on this earth, his message was stronger than ever before because he saw that human heart was still prone to love riches and gather goods for themselves. If you look in the New Testament, 11 out of 39 parables talk about money. And we all know it. We all know it very well. Jesus was not saying that it is wrong to have things, to have possessions and riches, but he was warning against becoming materialistic, letting things become more important than God, or even more important than relationships we have with others. God created us to love people and to use things. 
not to love things and use people. And we all want to have prosperous and successful in life. And we keep repeating these things, that there is nothing wrong with having possessions and successful career, because there is nothing wrong with that. But the reason why there is so many warning messages against rich is because riches can be, can be a powerful agent to change your heart, to fall in love with the things that we have. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be hoity, nor to trust in an uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That's Timothy 6, 17 to 19, if you look for that. These are words of divine wisdom, and it reminds us that we are walking heavenward. This life here and now is not everything. It says, do not be hoity, do not trust in riches. How easy it is to fall into the trap of thinking that I am safe that my future is safe because of the possession I have. But the truth is that the money and investments we have and possessions, they all may disappear very quickly. We may lose some of it or even all of it or simply like in the parable of rich fool, we may not see another day. But those who trust in the Lord will be like a tree planted by the waters. Do not fear when heat comes. Be prosperous, be successful, be rich, but put your trust in the Lord, not in the money. There is encouragement for us to set our minds on being rich in good works, to be willing to give, to be willing to share. If you think about it, riches cannot take place of divine purpose to create loving, caring, and compassionate character. Money won't give you that. The expression that Apostle Paul used in his letter to Timothy to store up for yourself a good foundation for the time to come, 
to lay hold on eternal life is clearly pointing out to the wise investment with the things that God has given us. And you know, I, I was thinking about these things that we read in the scripture. Uh, and I can see that every good investment that was designed by God for us, for Christians, is really investment in people. Isn't it? If you think about it. All the given money, all the talents we use in church and outside the church are to help and to support people. To bring them into relationship with God that they can be blessed as well. And after all, inherit the kingdom of God. By investing our means in mission, by supporting church with means and talents, we invest in people. Isn't it? It's all about people. God is interested in people. God has designed this world in this way that when we bless others, we are blessed ourselves. The scripture says that whoever is kind to the poor is lending to the Lord. It says the benefit of his gift will return to him in abundance. And I like the one in 2 Corinthians 9, that's verses 7 and through 9. It says, each of you must give what you have decided in your heart, not with regret or, or under compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Besides, God is able to make every blessing of yours overflow for you, so that in every situation you will always have all you need for any good work. As it is written, he scatters everywhere and gives to the poor. His righteousness lasts forever. There is a blessing in giving with cheerful heart, in blessing others. Not under compulsion, but let it be your decision from the heart. It says that God loves this kind of giving this kind of attitude and it is enjoyable to take part in helping others isn't it what I want to say today let us give thanks for all the riches all the benefits we can enjoy in this life all the blessings we have got from God but let us be careful. Let us shun from any form of greed or pride. Let us be rich in good works. It says, always willing to give. Always willing to share. And have this kind of mindset.
It's good to understand that God has a purpose for us to build future, to build better future. He wants us to invest in the future world by building characters for his glory. And the way to do that is by showing love, charity, kindness, goodness. It's a perfect way to do that. Have you ever come across saying you live only once? Have you ever heard that from people? I heard that quite a lot of times. You live only once. And I think Christians may struggle a little bit with this saying. Although we, we look forward to another life, to eternal life. So this is not the end. But to some extent, this saying is true even for us. Let me explain it. The opportunity we have here in this life will never come back again. The needs that people have in this fallen world, the things that we come across in this world here and now, will not have place in the world to come. And we can praise God for that. We can say, hallelujah, we're not going to have struggles anymore. But we not, but in, in the same time, it means that opportunity to show kindness and goodness to shape our characters, to help to the needy, are in this life only. This is the time. The days are passing by. It is here and now that we can open our hearts and to do great things for God, to show God's love people. Sometimes I wish I could turn back the time and do some things differently. I don't know if you have these kind of regrets and thoughts. But you know from now on, from now on, we can do things better. We can do things differently. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand, uh, your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Because there is no work in grave. As long as we live, we have our chance. Whatever your hand, hand finds to do, do it with your might. I think Solomon says here, whatever opportunity you have in this life, put your heart in that. 
do it with your heart. Live up to the highest standards. Do it with your best. Use your time. Use the means that you have to do great things for God. So that one day when we are in heaven by God's grace, we won't have to look back with regrets, but be able to fully rejoice with the Lord and with those who are saved.